0: This is the High Hopes Podcast. High hope. It's a bunch of
1: baseball nerds. Well, without the computers. Talking about the Philadelphia Phillies. On Radio.com and Sports Radio 94WIP.
2: What's going on High Hopes listeners? I'm Tim Kelly. This is the second episode of Mound Visit with yours truly. And believe you me, in the recent weeks between James and Jack, there's been plenty of coverage of the hot stove. I've had plenty both for 94WIP.com and and Philly's Nation, and, and believe me, I love that stuff. I look forward to the trade deadline. I look forward to the winter meetings. and To me, the winter meetings specifically are both the most exciting and stressful times to write about baseball because there is so much coming in. Things are so fluid. It's exciting, but it's also a little bit um, unnerving that you know at any second. I mean, th- th- there's been times in the last couple years where I'm laying in bed at in the morning thinking I'm done for the day, and I remember specifically last year when there was some thought that the Orioles could trade Machado. Uh, I mean, there really isn't a time. One of the things in sports media is there's some safe times where you think you're never really completely off the clock, but you think Fridays through Sundays you're in the clear for the most part as far as major breaking news, and you think you're in the clear after about midnight, 1 o'clock on the East That goes out the window, the winter meetings, and really for much of the off-season. So it's an exciting time. It's certainly a busy time. And uh, in addition to being a change of pace with this podcast being an interview-focused show, I like to bring a change of pace in terms of topics, and I have one that I think you guys will really enjoy today. So between writing, producing, and hosting this podcast— I'll be having conversations with people throughout the day, and it's not that I'm not listening, but my mind often wanders throughout the day thinking about what is my next article, what is my next podcast topic going to be about. Sometimes it happens while I'm still writing another article, so it's a a blessing and a curse. I always have a notepad full or a, a note in my phone full of different article and podcast ideas. Some of them stay in there for six hours. Some of them stay in there for six months. Pretty much all of them get used at some point. And this is one that I've been sitting on for a little while. So, And I think this is a topic that a lot of people are going to like, what is the best individual season a Phillies has had since 2000? Now, this doesn't mean the best individual season the Phillies have had since 2000, where we would be debating 2011 versus 2008. In all likelihood, this is what is the best individual season. So, you're going to look at Ryan Howard, Jimmy Rollins, Roy Halladay, and I'll, I'll go through some of the candidates in a second. But I think it's an interesting topic because it gets to what do you what's important to you what makes a player valuable does the best individual season have to come for a team that had a ton of success or not so here's some of the candidates jim Tomey in 2003 his first season with the phillies he hit 47 home runs 111 RBIs and had a 4.3 f4 Unfortunately for him, my guess is that he's going to be overshadowed by our next season, which is Ryan Howard in 2006 when he hit 58 home runs, drove in 149 RBIs, and had a 5.9 F4. He obviously won the National League MVP that season. The Phillies did not make the playoffs, although even after trading Bobby Abreu at the deadline, Ryan Howard kept the Phillies in things with one of uh, what would go on to be a few dominant Septembers where... Uh, he just tore the cover off the ball. For as much as he would start slow some years, you knew come September that Ryan Howard often would put the team on his back. Now, speaking of players that did that, and Jimmy Rollins did this Not only from an on-field sense, but from a confidence and narrative sense. In 2007, he hit two ninety-six with 30 home runs, 94 RBIs. He won a Gold Glove Award. He joined the 2020-2020, it's 520s, I believe, club. He obviously won the National League MVP, and he had the narrative on his side. Prior to the season, he said the Phillies were the team to beat. The Phillies, despite the Mets coming in after a season where they finished one game away from going to the World Series, stormed back late in the season with thanks to help from the Mets, who collapsed down the stretch to win the division, and then Jimmy Rollins became the second consecutive Philly to win the MVP. Now, I would make an argument, and a lot of people would push back on this, but also a lot of people would agree, that the best player of that era, certainly at his peak, was Chase Utley. And in 2007, while Jimmy Rollins won the MVP had Chase Utley not broken his hand in July, uh, his, his future teammate John Lannon, pitching for the Washington Nationals at that time, hit his right hand while he was batting, broke his hand, the Phillies got Tadahito Gucci. Everything worked out, but it still cost Chase Utley a month of the season. And mind you, this is a, a, a season where he played 132 games, so he missed exactly a month of the season, 30 games. He hit 332 with 22 home runs, 103 RBIs, and a 7.7 F-4. This was without playing 30 more possible games. It's possible the average and the war and everything takes some dips, but it's also possible they continue to increase. You can make a case that 2008 or 2009 Utley was even better, but 2007 to me is the one that I look at and say, if Chase Utley had stayed healthy and not broken his hand, I still think the Phillies win the division. I also think that Chase Utley, not Jimmy Rollins, could have potentially won the National League MVP. It's an it's an interesting debate that we'll probably get to at another time. In twenty ten, then, we, we get into a stretch of pitching dominant seasons. Roy Holiday posted a 2.44 ERA, a 6.1 F-4. He threw a perfect game against the Marlins in May. He threw the second playoff no-hitter in uh, baseball history in his first postseason start game one of the NLDS against the Cincinnati Reds. And I would say he was even better in that game than he was in the perfect game and then he won his second consecutive or he won his second, excuse me, Cy Young award making him one of what's now i believe six pitchers when you include that Max Scherzer has since accomplished this feat to win a Cy Young in both leagues. Now, in 2011, which was the most successful regular season the Phillies ever had, Cliff Lee returned and while you can make a case that Roy Halladay actually had a better season in 2011 than in 2010, 2010's the one that sticks out because a lot of the big moments. For Cliff Lee, 2011 sticks out. He had a 2.40 ERA, a 6.8 F4. He went 5-0 and in June with an 0-21 ERA and three complete games. I remember being at the Phillies and Red Sox in June during that stretch where he threw one of the three consecutive complete games. I've never seen the stadium like that. It was one thing because it was the Phillies and the Red Sox, and at the time, they were the two... Uh, best teams in the league they had both had monster off seasons the Phillies had brought Cliff Lee back the Red Sox had signed Adrian or traded for Adrian Gonzalez signed Carl Crawford both teams were expected to meet in the World Series and at that point both had lived up to that hype the Red Sox obviously would collapse and lead to then to Terry Francona there but at that point they were playing at an incredible level as well And when people talk about we need to get—I was at a conference last year where Dave Buck was talking about we we want to get Citizens Bank Park jumping again. That's what I think of, and a lot of it had to do with Cliff Lee coming back and the energy that that brought, and then the season Cliff Lee had that year— was absolutely remarkable. He finished third in Cy Young voting. Clayton Kershaw won. Halliday finished second. And frankly, I think you can make a strong case. Halliday probably should have won the award that year as well. That's not homerism because I think Kershaw's had the better career than Halliday, but. I struggle to think, if you go and compare the two numbers, that Halliday shouldn't have won the Cy Young Award that year. Cliff Lee finished third in the Cy Young voting that year in a normal year, and we said this about Aaron Nola this year, but it's especially true for Cliff Lee in 2011. In a normal season, he wins the Cy Young that year. He was that good. Now, Cole Hamels, I felt the need to mention him in the same way as Jim told me because he's Cole Hamels especially is an all-time great Philly. There's not... Really, one specific season you look at, 2014 was a great season. He got absolutely no run support. 2011, though, was an incredible season. Unfortunately for him, despite a 2.79 ERA, a 4.9 F4, and finishing fifth in NL Cy Young voting, uh, the season was kind of overshadowed because Roy Halladay and Cliff Lee were the new toys, and uh, they they were extremely exciting and probably the two best pitchers in the sport at that time. So... Cole Hamels got overshadowed a bit, but he was incredible during that stretch. The funny thing about Cole Hamels is we think of 2008 with Cole Hamels, but really that was, he came of age for the playoffs and it's great because the Phillies, without a great starting staff, won the, or won the World Series that year behind Hamels winning NLCS and World Series MVP. But Cole Hamels really hadn't peaked at that point in his career. 2011 to me was his absolute best season, and he had a fairly extended peak that he's not going to be a Hall of Famer in my mind, but it's certainly going to cause people to look over the ballot quite a bit when he's on it. And then Aaron Nola in 2018 had a season that I would say is slightly better than what Cole Hamels had in 2011. He had a 2.37 ERA, a 5.6 F4. He finished third in National League Cy Young voting and frankly, Again, like Cliff Lee in 2011, you had Jacob deGrom who put together a season that we'll be talking about in 50 years. And then Max Scherzer, who's someone that got a late start but is working his way into the Hall of Fame discussion because he has been so dominant at his peak. This is someone in Max Scherzer that already won three Cy Young Awards, two consecutive, and 2018 was probably the best season he ever had, and he finished runner-up. So that gives you an idea of how dominant of a season Aaron Nola had despite finishing third in Cy Young voting. And that's why, and not to get off on a side tangent here, but when people talk about, oh, how many top five finishes does he have in this award when they're evaluating someone for the Hall of Fame, it's not a great way to look at things because, A, how people vote changes. How people voted for MVPs in 2003 is certainly not the same way they vote in 2018. And how people, or just because they're put in that specific spot does not mean it's right. So I I do think they got it right in this case, but I'm cautious with a lot of people or in telling people not to get too caught up in how many top five finishes does he have in MVP or Cy Young or whatever the case is when you're looking back on someone's career. So to talk about this, I enlisted the help of two people that have been with the Phillies really my entire life. Chris Wheeler, who... Pretty much anyone that grew up watching the Phillies grew up with Chris Wheeler as the color commentator next to Harry Callis and a variety, Tom McCarthy, other guys. So Chris Wheeler is a great mind, a great person to talk about this discussion. So we're going to talk to him. We're also going to talk to NBC Sports Philadelphia Uh, their Phillies beat writer Jim Salisbury who I believe has been covering the team since 1994 so he's been on the beat for every single season that is being discussed here so he's a great tool as well so we're going to start with Chris Wheeler there's a short list of people you call when you want to talk about Phillies history and at the top of that list is Chris Wheeler who worked on Phillies telecast for over three decades wheels were thrilled to have you join us here on mound visit let's start with this Ryan Howard won the MVP in 2006, and Jimmy Rollins won it in 2007. Uh, In 2006, Howard broke the single-season franchise home run record with 58 while driving in 149 runs. He also did it, though, for a team that sold at the deadline, trading away Bobby Abreu and missed the playoffs. Jimmy Rollins, meanwhile, won an MVP in a season where the Phillies made the playoffs for the first time in 15 years. So to you, which of those individual seasons was more memorable?
1: Well, uh, the Ryan Howard thing obviously was pretty cool to watch, uh, to, to see him uh, hit all those home runs and to do all the things you ha- that he did and to think, wow, you got a monster in the middle of your order now for a long time because he's such a young guy. But to me, uh, Jimmy Rollins' 2007 MVP year, going to the postseason, you know, predicting that the Phillies were going to win, all those kind of things. And then... Not only do you, we talk about uh, you know his offensive numbers for MVP, but think how many runs he saved too. Yeah, he was at the peak of his career defensively too, as well as offensively. An unbelievable two-way player that hit at the top of the order. So to me, that year um, that year was one of the greatest years I've ever seen an individual Philly player have.
2: So Ryan Howard, as we just mentioned, won the MVP in 2006. He also did so while striking out 181 times. And grading out poorly in the field, both based off of defensive metrics and just the eye test. In this type of discussion, does that at all take away from his season, or does hitting 313 with 58 home runs almost erase any negatives in your mind?
1: Yeah, that doesn't, uh, absolutely does not erase, or absolutely does not factor into the. Uh, and what an unbelievable year he had. You know, I saw Mike uh, Mike Schmidt, at, I think it was the 48, and and uh, how he just went by that thing, blew that number out of the water. And you also, as I said, you realize you had a guy in the middle of the order, and you also saw a guy that was going to be able to produce. Uh, and he's a power hitter. And the power hitters, even to this day, well, now they strike out more. But even back then, you learn to live with power hitters striking out around 200 times. So he struck out what you said 181 or whatever it was that year. So the strikeouts were going to go along with it. And his defense in those days, uh, you know, it would grade out below average, I guess, because of the metrics of nowadays. But it also, um, he also had guys on that infield that threw him a lot of strikes over there. Uh, that he didn't have to worry about digging as many balls out of the dirt. He was much more mobile. He was lighter in those days. He hadn't blown out uh, the Achilles. His knees weren't starting to bother him. So, to me, he was not, at that point in his career, a defensive liability to the point where you thought, oh, you're going to get killed um, defensively with Ryan Howard in the lineup. He's going to have to hit an awful lot. Well, he hit an awful lot, but he, he was okay defensively.
2: So, you mentioned how memorable Jimmy Rollins winning the MVP in 2007 was. Some would argue that if Chase Udley hadn't broken his hand in July, he may have won that award instead. Rollins, of course, he had the narrative on his side, having predicted before the season that the Phillies <laughs> were the team to beat. But Udley hit 332 with 22 home runs, 103 RBIs, and a 7.7 F war despite missing 30 games. FanGraphs also says he was the second best fielder at second base in 2007. In your mind, not even necessarily who had the better individual season because Utley missed a month, but who was the most important player to that 2007 team?
1: I'll always say it was Jimmy Rollins because, uh, and, and the numbers you mentioned for Utley were unbelievable. And you're right. I mean, Chase Utley would have been a Hall of Famer if he hadn't started to get hurt. Not that injury, but of course the knees that came along later and he missed so much time, because he would have hit more home runs than any second baseman in history if he had not been so injury-plagued. Uh, and that year, he had really come into his own also, was an unbelievable player. But I'm going to stick with Jimmy Rollins, because even though you mentioned Utley's defensive metrics were good, he was playing second base. He wasn't playing shortstop. And you, if you don't have a guy up the middle playing shortstop for you on a good team, and I can't even remember back in those days that we had a lot of strikeout pitchers. I don't think we really did. So the ball was in play a lot. And Jimmy Rollins was just so unbelievable defensively and the things he was able to do with the glove to, to, to go along with his offense. I have to give him a little bit of a nod over at that year. I would say
2: back in those days the Phillies had a lot of pitchers that you knew were going to give up four runs in the offense and needed to score five. <laughs> Yeah. Um we're talking to Chris Wheeler here on Mound Visit with Tim Kelly brought to you by High Hopes on Sports Radio 94 WIP. Though you can make a case and we'll we'll switch gears a little <laughs> here a little bit. You can make it, make a case that Roy Halladay's 2011 season was the <laughs> best season of his career. He won the Cy Young in 2010, pitched a perfect game against Miami, and then had a playoff no-hitter in Game 1 of the NLDS, his first ever postseason start. So it's certainly the most memorable season of his career in 2010. From someone that had a front-row seat every time he towed the rubber, what made him so special?
1: Well, I'm going to go back to you weren't even born yet, probably. But in 1972, and you can look up the numbers, Steve Carlton had the most amazing year for an awful team. Uh, he was 27-10 and 10 that year, and his numbers are through the roof of what out left he was able to do. And He had a 15-game winning streak, and they were able to win so many games when he pitched, even though they were a bad team. Uh, to me, Roy Halliday was, was the reincarnation of Steve Carlton in a lot of ways. Uh, and the number one, there were two things. The preparation was unbelievable. Preparation was different. In Doc's days, than Lefty, because Lefty, you didn't have all the stuff that they had then. But Lefty still had it in his head who the hitters were and how he was preparing and doing those kind of things and have his body ready. Um, and then he was a fierce competitor. Oh, my gosh, when he went out there, he was unbelievable. And Roy Halladay, you remember, that guy, every pitch to him was like a war when he went out there. He always looked like he was working really hard. Lefty was more fluid. Uh, Carlton was able to do things that looked easier. Doc always looked like every pitch was maximum effort. He was grunting when he was out there. He was staring in at umpires a lot. Uh, he'd stare at hitters sometimes. Uh, but to pitch a perfect game, a perfect game, and then throw the only second uh, uh, no-hitter, in postseason history, I remember when that was happening that night, We were I'm thinking, geez, I remember Don Larson. I was a young kid, but I remember his perfect game. I don't remember one since then. Then we started looking it up, and sure enough, there hadn't been anything since that time in postseason. So the thrill of watching him pitch the perfect game and the no-hitter in the same year and then the watch, the way he prepared himself and the way he competed – was one of the more amazing things I've ever seen, and I compare it to lefty 72 season, which, uh, you know, you go back in our era. When I had first started in 71 and to see him pitch the way he did in 72, those are the two best years that I've ever seen guys have in Phillies uniforms. And Robin Roberts had some great years, too. Don't get me wrong, but those are the two that I was able to see and really appreciate.
2: So, in your mind, what is more valuable to a contending team—an East starter like Halliday, Cliff Lee, Aaron Nola, or a superstar position player like Ryan Howard, Chase Utley, or Jimmy Rollins?
1: <laughs> oh man, <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the. Well, you know now to have the starter that, but see, you really hit me. That's a good one. I've never thought about that. But when we're talking about now, if we're talking about the game that I grew up with or today's game the starting pitcher is a lot less important than they used to be, because they don't go deep into games anymore. They don't expect them to go. When Lefty started a game, he wanted to finish it. When Roy Halladay started a game, Charlie used to talk about when he'd go out there and take the ball from him, he was scary looking when he would stare at him like that. And the same thing with Lefty with Danny Ozark. So. Nowadays, today's type of pitcher, they're they're just not built to pitch the innings that they pitched in those days, nor to pitch the complete games that a Halliday and a Carlton pitched. So I've almost got to take the everyday position player that can produce the amazing numbers, MVP type of numbers, because the guy's going to play almost every day um, and get four or five at-bats a day, or, or at least plate appearances, and have the chance to do those kind of things so you hit me me cold with that one I never thought about it but I'm gonna go with the way the game is played nowadays and go with the everyday player
2: it is an interesting debate because I think even when Mm -hmm. I was a kid I would have said the ace starter and now Mm -hmm. you talk about this offseason people have looked forward to it for years because of Bryce Harper and Manny Machado even though at one point Clayton Kershaw had a chance to be a free agent you have Patrick Corbin and it's just unquestionably Bryce Harper and Manny Machado have been the two big names. But I will give you the floor here. We've discussed a variety of the greatest seasons that a Phillies had since 2000, and that's without even really diving into Cliff Lee, Cole Hamels, Jim Tomey. What to you is the most dominant individual season a player has had since 2000 in a Phillies uniform?
1: Well, I'm going to stick with Jimmy in 2007 because. Uh... Uh, that was when the club turned the corner and went to postseason. Lost, of course, in three straight to to the Rockies, who were kind of destined that year. They were unbelievable what they were able to accomplish and go to a World Series that year, even though they didn't win it. But they were they were a really good team. Uh, but I think Jimmy Rollins gave um, I think Jimmy Rollins gave our club kind of a swagger. Uh, he was the smallest guy in the lineup, but yet he had the biggest heart, and he was a guy that wasn't afraid to put it out there to the public. You know, because when you pop off the way that he did uh, about the Mets and all those kind of things, well, you better be able to back it up. And usually you, hear, you usually see a big guy do that. Well, Jimmy was not a big guy, as everybody knows, but he he was as red light a player as I'd ever been around with the Phillies. Lenny was a little bit Dykstra, uh, but Jimmy, for, for a guy that craved to be uh, on the big stage, we always thought that man, if this guy ever gets on the big stage, I really think he's going to be special. And everybody knows what he was able to accomplish in postseason play at big moments for the Phillies. So that's still what we're talking about. Um, Probably is the greatest season that I've ever seen a Philly have offensively. Mike Schmidt had some other ones, and we're not talking about that. And I go back to Carlton's year in 72 as the greatest performance I ever saw a pitcher have. Uh, And when you consider how bad that team was. But what we're talking about right now, um, Jimmy Rollins is my guy.
2: Chris Wheeler, thank you for joining us.
1: My pleasure, Tim. I hope, to, I hope I made some sense.
2: We are excited to welcome Jim Salisbury of NBC Sports Philadelphia to Mound Visit. You can read Jim on com. You can also listen to his excellent podcast, At the Yard, with Corey Seidman as well. And I'm also reminded to tell you that to download the My Teams app where you can stream the Phillies, Sixers, and Flyers on the go. Jim, let's start with this. You covered both Ryan Howard and Jimmy Rollins' MVP seasons. Which of those two was a more dominant individual season in your
0: mind? (laughs) That is a really, really tough question to answer, and I'm not sure that I have a good answer for you. All I can tell you is they were both great, And they were both, you know, as a writer, a reporter, covering a team, especially a team that went through kind of uh, such a long extended period of losing, building up toward that great run of uh, 07 to 2011. It was really exciting to see those two young players emerge, turn that team into a championship team. So Howard wins the MVP in 06. And I remember that second half, and I think it seemed like he hit a home run every other night. Uh, over the final two months of the season, August and September, uh, finished that year with 58 home runs and 149 RBIs. And I think people forget he wasn't just this this um, big home run hitter, The slugger. Hit 313 that year. Just really was an all around hitter. Uh, had an OPS of, of over thousand. And like I said, I, I think he hit like 24 home runs over the final. Um, two months of the season, seemed like every other night. And I remember writing a story. He had a big home run to win a game down in Washington. And I remember referring to him as Philadelphia's most popular athlete. Just kind of, I was on deadline. I was writing fast. and It just kind of came to me because the whole town was captivated captivated by what Ryan Howard was doing down the stretch in 06. And that was when the Eagles were having this great run and Donovan McNabb. And I just... It just kind of came off my fingertips, Uh, Philadelphia's most popular athlete. I remember uh, writing that, and the next day, Scott Graham, one of the Phillies broadcasters, said to me, wow, I I, I saw you refer to him as Philadelphia's most popular athlete. And He says, I don't think I can disagree with that. What we're seeing, this guy has just been amazing. So um, that was a great run, a dominant, dominant season. You hit the ball out of the ballpark 58 times. People love home runs. People love power. Uh, it was really something to see. I don't know that I can say. I guess it was, in, in some ways, it was more dominant than, than Jimmy's 07 season because um, just because of the way we, we regard power and, and the way power captivates. But Rollins in 07, you know, as a writer, I think we always root for a great story. Rollins in 07 was a great story. Because if you remember, the Phillies hadn't been to the postseason in 14 years, and and what does he do right before spring training? Is he says, you know, we're the team to beat in the National League East. And people are like, what are you talking about? You haven't been to the playoffs in 14 years, and he's saying that stuff. Well, every day of the 07 season, he went out and backed up that comment, uh, and to me, that just made for for a great story. The way he he wore that comment on his back like a bullseye. And he backed it up. I mean, he hit 30 home runs that season, 94 RBIs, 20 triples. He won a gold glove, led the league in runs. Uh, I remember, you know, I had an MVP that wrote that season, and Matt Holiday had a huge season out in Colorado, and I was pulling my hair out who to vote for. And I voted for Jimmy Rollins because, as I said, he wore that comment every day, he backed it up. Some guys would have caved to the pressure of trying to back it up, but he never did. And on both sides of the ball, made great uh, plays night after night in the field, had big hits. I remember the day they clinched it um, at Citizens Bank Park on a Sunday afternoon, a warm Sunday afternoon. The place was was packed. Everybody was waving those rally towels. and um, You know, they were tied with the Mets, I guess, going into that final day. That was when they chased down the Mets. And... um, the Mets, I think, had fallen behind 6 nothing. They were down 6 nothing, and it was there for the taking. And what does Jimmy do? I think he let off that game with his 20th triple of the season. I mean, 20 triples. Think about that. Uh, so I don't know if I could say which one was more dominant. They were both a treat to watch.
2: So Chase Utley isn't associated with one particular season like those two are. Perhaps had he not broken his hand in 2007, you could make a case he may have won the MVP that season. But at his height... Was he the most valuable of that trio?
0: Uh, good question again. You know, in 07, I remember that well. Uh, he took that ball from John lannan off his hand, broke his hand. He might have been the MVP. I remember, I remember he missed a month. I remember writing stories about, you know, can he get back in the MVP race? And I think he finished in the top ten that year. I think he finished eighth. Pretty much, uh, I'd have to say, it was his best season. Um, he was on a Hall of Fame track, and he still might be. You know, he still might get there. But I think he was on a slam dunk Hall the same track until he uh, came down with those knee issues. I don't know that I can say that he was the most valuable player. I think as a unit, you know, you had the greatest shortstop in Jimmy Rollins, the greatest second baseman in Chase Sutley, and the greatest first baseman in Ryan Howard in Philly's franchise history. And, they, and they, they, they came together at the same time. They played next to each other in the same infield. I think if you subtracted one, uh, it would have hurt the whole. Uh, if you really pushed me as to who the key guy was in that great run, I might be tempted to say Ryan Howard just because of the way a big, dangerous, intimidating bat in the middle of a lineup can change everything from the way the hit, uh, pitcher approaches uh, a game and his game plan and hitter-to-hitter hitter, um, just to the damage that he can do with one swing. Uh, I thought Ryan Howard, in a lot of ways, because of his big – production in the middle, middle of that order was the glue that brought it all together. But they would have missed Jimmy's energy. They would have missed Chase Utley's heart and determination. And they would have missed Ryan Howard's muscle if you subtracted one of them. Uh, I think we saw that after Howard got hurt in 2011. They were a different team. I know they all got a little bit older, but you know losing Howard really hurt them. So I would say if there was one guy, I think that was um, – Maybe just a little bit of a key. It was Howard, but again, it was about the team, and and you would have missed any one of those guys.
2: So switching gears a little bit, Roy Halladay won the Cy Young. He threw a perfect game and a playoff no-hitter in 2010. You could actually make the case that his 2011 regular season was even better. It might have been the best of his entire career, but he did it in a year where Clayton Kershaw might have been a, a tad bit better. Halliday's 2011 season perhaps overshadowed Cliff Lee turning in one of the most dominant seasons in franchise history. When we talk about great individual Philly seasons since 2000, is that season overlooked?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think about the great pitching performances I've seen. Cole Hamills was very, very good in 2011. Halliday in 2010 and 2011. Again, as a writer, you love a great story. I mean, Roy Halladay pitching a perfect game in his eleventh start as a Philly, after really wanting to come to the Phillies that winter, and in a lot of ways that was his dream team to come to the Phillies. He pitches a perfect game, then he pitches a playoff no hitter. Uh, other dominant seasons, even before that, Schilling in '97 and '98. I you know I'm kind of uh, kind of coloring outside the lines here, but to have back to back 300 strikeout seasons, just amazing. But to get back to your question about Cliff Lee, yeah, I think he was overshadowed by, by Roy Halladay in 2011. Roy Halladay, on a whole, I think Halladay was kind of the ace of that team. But, and, and the big guy that everybody talked about, Cliff Lee, um, right there with him, a great major league pitcher. I loved watching him pitch in his prime. You know, he was get the ball, throw the ball, fire a fastball, locate, locate, locate. He was tremendous. And in 2011, and I remember, it well, he had six shutouts. That is just astounding when you consider, uh, you know, in 2000 and, uh, 2018, major league leader in shutouts had one. This guy had six shutouts in two thousand and eleven, including at one point three in a row. And I remember well at Citizens Bank Park in mid September, he's facing the Marlins, and he's 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 working. You uh, know, he's one out away from his seventh shutout. I think he's got 12 strikeouts that night against the Marlins. No walks. He's absolutely dominant. It's just get the ball, fire the fastball, and then he's 0-2 on um, I forgot the guy's name, Lopez, a little hitter from the Marlins, uh, Jose Lopez, I think. And it's 0-2, and um, the crowd is on his feet. I think the Phillies will win in one nothing. And uh, he throws another fastball instead of maybe going off speed or putting something in the dirt or climbing the ladder. He, try, he challenges with another fastball, and Lopez sticks the bat out and hits it in the seats, uh, and there goes what would have been his seventh shutout. And, you know, one pitch away from seven, seven shutouts, and I firmly believe he would have won the Cy Young with seven shutouts this year, that year. Instead, he finished third. Uh, just, you know, one pitch, I believe, cost him the Cy Young that year. But when you talk about Halliday and, and Cliff Lee's greatness in 2010, 2011. You're talking guys that would, you know, rack up, you know, 220, 225 strikeouts with like 35 or 40 walks. I mean, just amazing pitching performances, Uh, and guys that like to finish what they started. You know, go nine innings again, complete games. There were two. You know, the leader, I think, in Major League Baseball had two of them last year. Just in just a short time, we've seen a different era of pitching. But yeah, those two guys with Hamels. Uh, in Oswald 2011 you're talking about one of the greatest pitching staffs ever assembled and you know we got to see it right Philly up close
2: yeah and you mentioned the amount of walks Cliff Lee had I think in 2010 the season that he spent with Seattle and then Texas I think he only had like 30 walks he if for that stretch Cliff Lee's not going to be a Hall of Famer but at his peak Cliff Lee was as good as any pitcher in the sport now Talking to Jim Salisbury here on Mound Visit on 94wip.com and the radio.com app. Uh, Jim, like Lee in 2011, Aaron Nola just finished third in a very crowded Cy Young Award race. How does his 2018 season, I I would feel remiss if we didn't at least mention that in this discussion, how does that stack up compared to some of the great seasons that Cliff Lee, Roy Halladay, and Cole Hamels had?
0: Uh, It is not far off. I I don't think it measures with Lee and Halliday, uh, but you know what? I'll take it any day of the week. As a matter of fact, I'll take 10 of them. I thought it was outstanding. I think one of the things that Nola did in 2018, uh, you know, he was 20, pitched at 24 years old last year in 2018. Um, He had, and he finished third in Cy Young. He had a, a dominant, dominant ace, number one ace type season at age 24, where those other guys, um, at least with the Phillies, were doing it at you know at 29, 30, 31, 32 years old, you know, with some more maturity and, and pitching know-how, and and just you know, experience helps you gain savvy and how to attack hitters. And he did it at at a very young age uh, in his third full season of Major League Baseball, and it was kind of. Um, you know, kind of wet your whistle for more to come. It kind of told you that, you know, this could just be the tip of the iceberg with this guy. Uh, if he stays healthy, uh, he's going to be, you know, you're going to be talking about him in the same breath as those guys someday. I think he's going to challenge for Cy Young's um, in multiple seasons.
2: So what do you view as more valuable to a team, an ace like Halliday, Lee, or Nola, or a superstar like Jimmy Rollins, Ryan Howard, or Chase Aldi that plays on an everyday basis?
0: I think you need a blend. Um, If you want to win, I think you need a blend. I mean, that's why why that 2011 team won uh, 102 games. I know they had that great pitching staff, but they also had great players on the diamond. Uh, That's why they won from 07 to 2011. They had a blend. Um, 2008, the pitching staff was still in a lot of ways coming together. It wasn't nearly as uh, dominant. But uh, starting in about mid-August, it was dominant, especially that bullpen. They came together. Ryan Madsen came together and provided a, a huge boost. Uh, we know the season that Brad Lidge had. And then we had, you know, you had Cole Hamels at age 23 or 24 just get like hot as a firecracker in, in the month of October. So I really, I've always been a guy. If you put a gun to my head, I want to build around pitching because I think pitching can shut people down. But you really, if you want to put together. A team that can run off and do uh, run off some really great seasons and do things, uh, do some special things. You, you definitely need a blend. You need a you need, a, you need a, uh, a combination. But it it does. It's awfully nice to have that that number one starter, uh, true number one. Have a couple number twos behind them because when you get into October, uh, pitching can change everything. Starting pitching can change everything. Um, but. To get to October, you really need that blend. You need the offense and the defense and the pitching.
2: So, Jim, you've covered every Philly season this century. Which, to you, has been the best individual season a Phillies put together since 2000?
0: Team-wise or individual?
2: I- individual.
0: Uh, that's a great question. Every one of those guys we've talked about, from Nola to Hamels to Lee to Halliday, Utley, Rollins, Howard... Uh, Every one of them you could cast a vote for. Uh, They've all done really great things. They're all uh, special to watch. At times, each one of them carried the team. Um, There was something electric about Ryan Howard's uh, 2006, uh, the way he just built on that rookie of the year season and just went nuts in that second half in August and September. Uh, basically hitting a home run every other night, winning games. It was like what else can he do? What what's he gonna do tonight? You couldn't wait to get to the ballpark to see what he could do tonight. Um, I, I I might I might vote for that one just because the home run is so it's so romanticized in baseball. going back to Babe Ruth. you know, it's what the home run uh helped America fall in love with baseball when you go back to Babe Ruth. So I kind of might be tempted to say Ryan Howard was just, uh, that second half uh, of 06 was so spectacular. What's he going to do next? And and that might get my vote just by a hair over the rest of them.
2: It's interesting, though. that That's one of the seasons we're talking about, that they didn't make the postseason. They actually sold at the deadline, so... Um, it is interesting when we're having these discussions to look how it factors into team success. Jim Salisbury of NBC Sports Philadelphia. Jim, thank you for joining us.
0: You're welcome. Thank you, Tim.
2: All right, so a special thanks to Chris Wheeler and Jim Salisbury, two of the best Phillies minds, for joining the program this week. And I hope this is a topic you guys enjoyed because I really have enjoyed putting this together as far as what season I would lean towards, I look back at 2011 and think this that was the most magical season that the Phillies as a team have had and that includes 2008. The point where Philadelphia became baseball heaven was something I never thought I would see and frankly even if the Phillies have a lot of team success, I don't know if it's something that we're going to see again. However, as enjoyable as watching Roy Halladay and Cliff Lee pitch, at I, I think at that point they were the one and two best pitchers in the sport. and You know you can make a case for CeCe Sabathia or Clayton Kershaw or different arms at that time. But to me, those were the best two pitchers in the sport. It was so special to be able to watch them. Chase Utley at his peak, like I said, I think I would take him over anyone in that trio. I understand how incredible of a 2007 season Jimmy Rons had. Aaron Noah is incredible in 2018. Jim Tomy's a Hall of Famer for a reason. But in terms of the best individual season, boy do I struggle not to take Ryan Howard in 2006 because when I look at these seasons, I the first thing that comes to my mind is which of these are we least likely to ever see happen again in Philadelphia. And to have someone hit 313 and 58 home runs... As great as Roy Halliday and Cliff Lee were, and I'm not sure we will see that again uh, from someone wearing a Phillies uniform, I know we won't see someone hit 58 home runs again in a Phillies uniform, and I think all of us had a pretty good idea that was the case at the time that Ryan Howard was doing it in 2006. So I would lean towards that. At the same time, when I if I was building a team, 2006 Ryan Howard is probably not one of the first three names that I would take on this list. So it's funny because I think I would take Chase Utley if I was building a team at his peak out of all these options. And if not Utley, I'm taking Roy Holiday and Cliff Lee probably slots in right behind them. And then you have an interesting debate on Ryan Howard, on Aaron Nola, Cole Hamels, Jim Tomey. The thing is, For as great as Ryan Howard was offensively, you still do have to factor in the fact that at that point in his career, he was a below replacement level fielder. And I think that doesn't take away. I would have voted for him for MVP in 2006. It doesn't take away from the season he has. But when you're talking about a list where you have a bunch of possible Hall of Famers or a bunch of guys at their peak that were that level of good, you have to take the entire equation and not just what they did. Uh, the best and 2006 Ryan Howard hit 50 points higher than he would hit in most seasons in his career and almost 100 points higher than in some seasons at the very end but I, I to me I still do factor in some of the negative parts when I'm talking about how would I build a team which of these guys would I take to build a team but when I'm talking about what the best individual season was to me Ryan Howard was the most memorable season um, Scott or uh, Jim Salisbury mentioned Scott Graham who uh, I believe 2006 was his final season with the Phillies and I, I remember him calling the final home run on the August day where Ryan Howard hit three home runs and to me that is one of the most memorable Phillies games that we've ever had so when I talk about best individual seasons perhaps I'm equating that with most memorable and hey, look you can make the case that that wasn't the most memorable because the Phillies ultimately didn't make the playoffs but When we're talking about an individual season, I don't think we're going to see someone hit 58 home runs again. So I would love to hear from you guys. You can tweet at me, at Tim Kelly Sports. You can tweet at the podcast, at High Hopes Pod. And then, of course, continue to subscribe, to share. Jack and James do an incredible job on their version of the podcast, and I'm happy that they've allowed me to do this one. I will talk to you guys soon. I have some great stuff lined up. For now, I will catch you guys later.